Thank you very much, my sister Sharon. Thank you for reading for us that passage. Good morning, friends, and praise the Lord. Our reflection Amen. this morning, like we have already heard, comes to us from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. But I thought to myself, for us to give context to this passage, which should be the intention of all of us believers every time we interact with God's word, it is important for us to take it from verse 24 to 29 because there it is a complete passage and we get to see what God really, really wants us to pick out. Now, first things first, Colossians, um, if you go to chapter 1 and verse 1, we get to read that it is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, that is writing. And as Paul writing, he as, as Paul is writing, he is addressing his message to a group of believers that are in a small city of Colossae. Now, it is important for us to have a bit of how this group of believers started in the first place in this small city called Colossae. And we can only get that if we go a bit some pages back in our Bibles to Acts chapter 19. And when we go to Acts chapter 19, of course, we will not read everything right now. We do not seem to have all the time, but in your free time, I want to encourage you to read Acts chapter 19, because in Acts 19, Paul is on his missionary journeys, and in 19, he's finding himself at a place called Ephesus. And in verse nine, chapter 19, verse 10, as Paul makes known the word of God, it happened that in uh, Ephesus, there was a young man that was in Ephesus, but he had traveled from Colossae. And so he gets into this message of Jesus, is excited, he gets saved. And as the norm is for us that receive the message, that we are not expected to keep the message to ourselves, this young man, Epaphras, from the city of Colossae, goes back home and he takes with himself the message of Christ. And this is what it says in Acts 19, verse 10. This continued for two years as Paul preached so that all the residents of Asia had the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And it is believed that Epaphras was one of those. And so as he begins the church, the church is given birth to in Colossi, uh, chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 17. It starts, starts very well. And as the church begins, um, Epaphras gets opportunity to go back and share with Paul how this, this church is going. And one of the burdens that Epaphras had friends is that wrong teachers or dangerous teachings had started to come into this church at Colossae. And we can get a glimpse of that in chapter 4 and verse 12, part of the false things that were being taught. Uh, verse 12 says, um, chapter 4, uh, Colossians, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Epaphras is burdened that things are going wrong. People are beginning to divert from the truth of the message of Jesus. He lets Paul know. And in response to the burden that Epaphras had bore, Paul writes this letter to address 
to respond to the situation, but also to primarily encourage believers at Colossi to endeavor that they grow in the message of Christ. And so the whole purpose of this writing is Paul is responding to a concern from Epaphras about the state of the church at Colossi. Now, he gives us a glimpse into what this false teaching looks like. That that was undermining um, the identity of these new believers, as well as the role of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Colossians 1, verses 12, and also uh, a bit of 28. Verse 12 says, Colossians 1, 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved in whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So um, there was a teaching as there must be something extra we need to do to what Jesus has already done. It can't be good for us. It can't be true that it is really, really enough what Jesus accomplished. And so Paul tries to help them understand that Christ is really, really enough. And what he has done has been done and it is enough. We do not need to uh, try and add on to what he has already accomplished for us. Now back to our passage, verses 24. Paul identifies himself in these verses 24 to 29 in personal terms very very personal terms in fact as you read through these verses he is going to speak more about himself he uses personal pronouns not once not twice but over and over again he begins by saying I, he refers to himself, I rejoice. And in verses 25, he says, of which I became a minister. So this portion is helping us understand Paul's philosophy of ministry. Paul's understanding of what ministry is, of course, using himself and his example as a yardstick to help us understand what ministry meant for Paul. But also in verse 28, he now transitions into collectively referring to all of us because he says in verse 28 that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, back to these personal pronouns that Paul uses, we also see um, another one in verse 29. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Friends, here we get to look at the heart of Paul and what drove Paul to cause him to do the things that he daily did. What made him the man that we know Paul to be in the word of God? Now, reading verse 23, because it kind of gives us a little background to what is happening here. Verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you had, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. There is this consistent repetition of the word minister. And I want us to pause this morning and ask ourselves, what does it mean when you are a minister? 
because uh, picking from what the Bible says about a minister, there tends to be this elevated status about minister, both in church, but also in terms of governance. But allow me remind us, friends, this morning that this word minister has its origin from the Greek language. It means diakonos, and this basically means, uh, refers to a waiter, like someone that serves on table, someone who did menial service, someone who offered unskilled service, the basic is common service. Now, friends, this shows us that in a way, Paul saw himself as a very common person, very common person in terms of status, not elevated at all. And reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4 again, Paul will remind us that the gospel he is bearing is glorious. But in as much as this gospel he bears is glorious, he himself as a vessel is not glorious at all. He saw himself, friends, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as a clay pot. As you interact with that passage, you will get to be utterly amazed. Paul says, you know what? The gospel I bear and bring to you is glorious, but I am not. I am only a clay pot. And we all know characteristics of clay pots. They are brokeable. They are replaceable. And some are really, really ugly if the artist does not put in the work therein. And so Paul says, I am only a vessel, I carry a message that is glorious. And partly why he does that, he wants us to pay attention to the message which beholds the glory and not him the person, the herald or the messenger of this message. Because he knows there is a temptation for us to want to put the message aside and pay attention to the vessel. There is a temptation for us to want to glorify the vessel at the expense of the message of the kingdom that this vessel carries. And so Paul reminds us, as if he gives us his understanding of ministry and of who a minister is, friends, Paul says he is only a common person, he is only a clay pot that can be broken anytime, that can be replaced, but the message that he carries is a glorious message. Recall in his writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, Paul again uses that analogy of clay pots to help us understand that, you know what, clay pots in the old times were simply used to take garbage out. People would serve food on silver or gold utensils, have a good meal, and then would have garbage thrown in the clay pots, and it would be these clay pots that would be taken out of the house to take out the garbage. There was no glory in him. And Paul wants us to understand that for each one of us under the sound of my voice this morning, God wants us to understand we are all ministers called into his vineyard, whether ordained or lay. God wants us to understand that we are only vessels, clay pots that can be replaced, that can be broken, but there is glory in the message we carry. And so at no point should we... Uh, be deceived that there is any glory in us as vessels and God wants us to really really understand that 
because somehow as ministers there is that elevated status that can come to us and you know what at times for ordained ministers christians do not make it easier at all you're trying to, to, to carry yourself as simply a clay pot, but the things and statements that seem to come out at times might be honest and genuine, but if you're not careful, they might cause you to grow pride in your heart and begin to say, oh, God, and before you know it, you forget that you're simply a vessel, a clay pot, and it is only the message that you carry that is glorious. Paul's understanding of a minister is very important for us as we go out this morning, but also as we do our ministry. It is good to respect those friends that God has called to his service, whether ordained or lay. Yet we shouldn't forget that a minister is a common servant, a common servant. Paul uses another word, doulos, to refer to himself as, uh, to describe himself as a minister. So Paul, he's not just a common servant in Romans 1 verse 1 he refers to himself as a doulos of Christ as a slave imagine these two things a common servant who is a slave friends notice that Paul not only calls himself a common servant but a slave and we all know what is characteristic of slaves. They are submissive. They are under order. Slaves have masters over them. And it is only the order of this master that they run with. Paul is trying to help us understand friends. In, first, first, in Colossians 1, 24 to the end, that he is not operating independently. As a slave, as a servant, he is taking on or carrying out the orders of his master. Paul's concept of ministry and of who a minister is, friends, is one under the concept of humility. To be a minister of God therefore means that you are to be lowly, you are doing a common service, you are under orders, and so you do not act independently, but rather dependently on your master. And we all know that for us that believe in Jesus, ministers of God, whether ordained or lay, Jesus is our master, and so we act depending of, of on him. So do not fall victim, friends, to pride as a minister. Do not fall victim. Now, the question I want us to ask ourselves, even as we go into these verses furthermore, is what is essentially the nature of our service as ministers of God? Let us put this whole thing of servant aside of minister for a while. In verses 23, again, as Paul was concluding this passage, he is talking about the nature of Christ, that he is the exalted person. He describes Christ in verses 15 as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he tends to switch in verse 21 to talk about we who were formerly alienated that have now been reconciled with him through Christ Jesus. He's been talking about Christ and the gospel. And now he comes to transition at the end of verse 23 and he says of which i paul became a minister he says that word again in 25 so he says you are made one 
by what? One can ask, what is it that caused Paul to be made a minister? Was it his education that qualified him to be a minister? Was it his wealth, his muscle in terms of money? Was it his training? Was it his ability? Was it his personality? Was it the church that said, hey, wait a minute, you know what? Uh, this one has other things we need, and so let us bestow him the status of being a minister. Was it a group of people? It is important for us to understand, friends, by what was Paul made a minister? What is it? And you see, the answer is in this passage, very clear. Paul says, I was made. And for us that understand a little bit of the English language, when it is written, I was made, it means that someone is passive to whom that was made. In other words, someone acted on Paul to make him a minister. Paul is passive in this statement. He did not work upon himself to call himself a minister. And for us to understand who it is that actually worked upon Paul to ensure he becomes a minister, we read through scripture and there are very many references. But I picked out Acts 26 verses uh, 12 to 18 because in those Paul himself is standing before the king and giving an account himself of how he became a minister. Yes, the Damascus experience is good, but you see in Acts 26 he is telling it himself and is helping us understand you know what he narrates the story and says you know what king that is how i paul was made a minister i was headed out with bitterness to go and persecute the people of the way and i met the lord on my way to damascus can i ask us to go digress a little bit and go to acts chapter 26 Acts 26, please quickly go with me there and let us have a glimpse into Paul's own account of how he was made a minister. He didn't make himself one, but rather God himself met him and made him a minister of this precious gospel. Acts 26 verses 12 to 18. He says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and mission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language. I, I love to teach the Hebrew language for Old Testament scholars. And it blesses my heart, friends, that God actually speaks this language. And he says, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the gods? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and stand up stand upon your feet for i have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which i will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the gentiles to whom i'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of satan to god that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Hallelujah. He gives an account of how God made him a minister. He says, I didn't attain it. I didn't earn it. It was by 
Grace, if you look through my life, I was a persecutor who now graciously calls and says, I want to make you a minister of this message, which is not different from what Paul again writes to us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. He was made a minister of this gospel by Jesus Christ. Paul saw ministry, friends, as a gift of grace as a gift of mercy from the sovereign Lord. Paul had received a deposit from God and he had a responsibility of distributing this deposit to others. Just like Epaphras, he gets it while at Ephesus and brings it to his people at Colossae. God has bestowed this upon him. And going back to our passage in Colossians, God counted Paul to be a steward on for, for our own benefit, for the benefit of the people at Colossae, as he writes. He says, you know what? God gave me this message of the gospel as a steward. And we all know that if you are a steward, you are not an owner. You are not the owner of the message. You're simply holding it on. You're simply taking care of this message you're simply taking care of this property you're not the originator of the message but how many times friends as ministers whether ordained or lay do we deceive ourselves into thinking the message is ours and we actually forget that we are but stewards paul says in verse 25 of colossians 1 of which i became a minister according to the stewardship from god that was given to me for you. My gift, says Paul, is not for me. It is not for elevating me. It is for your benefit as believers. It is for you. And so as I discharge my gifting, as I discharge it, it is for the benefit of the household of Jesus Christ himself. And going ahead in First, uh, in Col first Co Corinthians chapter 9, we also get to understand the implication of this. You will later on read during the day or any time, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the implication, Paul says, you know what, because I'm a steward of this message, woe unto me if I do not preach it. I have received it to steward it, to pass it on to you. But if I don't, there is likely danger to come. And he say, and Peter also alludes to this, he says in 1 Peter 5, when Jesus gives him the command, feed my flock as an ordained minister, I have a mandate to feed. And so friends, the spirit of ministry in our passage today is a spirit of joy. And this doesn't mean that there'll be days when it is all rosy. There'll be days you will wake up and you do not feel like it. But you see, we are called to rejoice as we uh, go about ministry, whether ordained or lay. He says, now I rejoice. God wants us to rejoice as we go about stewarding this gospel that he has given to us. What is the suffering of ministry? And I think we now understand that God is the source of this ministry and not me, the vessel. I am only a clay pot that can be broken, that can be replaced. He is the source. We get the message from him. But the spirit of ministry, as we go about sharing this message, should be a spirit of joy. His Paul says, I rejoice for your sake. And this should show us that as we go about stewarding the ministry given to us, they're likely to come suffering. 
I mean, if Christ went through it, who are we to claim to be immune to it? The question is, why Paul is suffering all the time? Because as you read through the, the word that he writes to us over and over again, we get a record of the things that Paul suffered. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, 6, uh, 10, 13, he gives us a record, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the being taken into prison. But as he gives us a record of the sufferings he goes through, he seems to want us to understand that it is inevitable. Suffering, friends, is the inevitable price we have to pay if we want to get the gospel to those that have not yet got it. Suffering is the inevitable price Paul had to pay to get the gospel across to those people that had not yet gotten it. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 and 18, Paul writes to the Colossians and he says to them, you know what, actually, as I write this to you, I am in prison. But he says, this is all for your benefit. And he says, there seems to be no out. It is the only way I can write to you. I am in prison. So suffering is inevitable. But Paul calls us to endure it. His philosophy of ministry, whether ordained or lay, is suffering is part of it. It is part of the package. It is like when you marry your wife or husband. They will have that good side to them and, oh, my God, you will like it. But they, they will also have the other side. But you see, you have made the vows and you have to accept the complete package. And so salvation is, is not simply sailing. There'll be moments like that, but there will also be times when our faith is tested, when we are suffering for it. The call is for us to endure. Paul says in verse 24b, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. In other words, Paul is saying, if Jesus was here, he would be beaten. He would suffer for the message that he brought. But you see now that Jesus is not here and I am a bearer or a representative of Jesus in this world. I am taking on the would-be beating that Jesus would take. In other words, he's saying I am suffering not because the people around me hate me. No, 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 no. I am suffering because they hate Christ whose message I am carrying. Friends, the most noble way for us to live our lives is to take the blows for Christ who took the most important blow for us. He died for us. The suffering of ministry is vicarious. It is vicarious, and so we are called to suffer vicariously on behalf of Jesus because he bore the most ultimate suffering for us. So the philosophy of a minister, Paul says to us this morning, is not just someone who is a common servant. is not just someone who is a slave to a master. It is someone who rejoices even in the sufferings that they have. Someone who vicariously suffers on behalf of their master for the benefit of those that have not yet come. They rejoice in this suffering. Now, what is the scope of our ministry, according to Paul in verse 25? The scope is for us to fulfill the word of God. For him as a minister, he had this mandate to teach the word of God, to make the word of God fully known. 
that which was hidden, he says to us in verses 26 to 27, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of the church, the mystery of the rapture and of the things to come. He says the message is that Christ that is in you is the hope of his glory. Paul wants us to understand as ministers that Christ now lives in us. He lives in us and so we should go about proclaiming, heralding his message. And thinking about this message of heralding, heralds publicly proclaimed. Christianity is not a sacred service sort of work. You do not uh, keep it to yourself. The call is for us to publicly proclaim him that died and rose for us. As we go about teaching his word and as we go about warning people and calling them to Jesus, we herald him, we proclaim him. And you know what Paul tells us? The reason is so that we may present everyone mature in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, that was Paul's understanding of ministry, not of exalting himself as a vessel, but exalting the glorious message of Christ that he carried his thought ministry to be where he is a slave, one obediently following after the, 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 the work of his master, one who depended of the, on the master, one who did not act independently. Paul thought of ministry as a call to daily rejoice even when it was difficult. He prides in the suffering that he receives. What is your understanding of ministry this day, whether ordained or lay? What is your understanding about ministry? Paul says, you know what, as a minister, I have received this message. I am stewarding it. I am not the originator. I am not the source. And so glory and honor should be given to the originator of this message. I'm only a clay pot. Broken can be replaced, but this message cannot. I am a herald called out to publicly proclaim. And as we go out to work today or stay at home to do whatever it is you're supposed to do, are you a herald of this message? Do people around you know? Do you take opportunity to publicly make it known that you are a believer? So I want to pray for my morning as I pray for you that the Lord will lead us, that the Lord will help us tap into this understanding that Paul had for ministry. Paul says, you know what? It is Christ in us that helps us do this. It is him. He is the hope of glory. We are known. So may we understand that and may we run with this message and may we proclaim it to the glory and honor of his name so that fruits will come out, fruit that will last to the glory and honor of his name. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.